In our series of sermons on following Jesus, we're looking this morning at the topic of being guided by the Lord. And in in that reading that we had from Genesis 24, it's a very clear case of the servant of, of Abraham being guided, Abraham being guided to find a, a wife for his son. It's you can just imagine the last, the scene in the last few verses of that chapter where Isaac's in the distance, Rebecca is on one of the camels along with the servant and others, and she gets down and they're wondering who's that. It's it's almost a scene from a movie where the, the two are meeting for the first time. You can just imagine the the whole storyline. One of the great things about the Old Testament is that it teaches us truths through stories very often. The New Testament teaches us truths through propositions, through doctrines. But in the Old Testament, we see these worked out in real life and practice. And that's the situation here that we, that we have read in Genesis chapter 24. I don't know what you think about um, arranged marriages, but they were quite common back then, and in some parts of the world they're still common. If you know the the film The Quiet Man, you'll, you'll know that there was a matchmaker who was putting John Wayne and what's her name? I can't remember the name of the, the actress. Maureen O'Hara, that's right. Together, the... Arranged marriages aren't too popular now, but sometimes our own choices are not any better. How many times have you heard somebody, when, when a marriage is broken up, after years and years, and friends say, sure, we knew that was never going to work out right from the start. If only that wisdom had been applied at the start, maybe there might have been a more successful marriage. Maybe if there was advice, if not arrangement. If marriages were not based upon the emotional bond that attracts people together, but something stronger. One of the the benefits of arranged marriages is that the two people make a commitment to each other. It's not based on emotions, it's based on a promise, on a covenant, on a marriage contract. And marriages which aren't based on emotions and feelings tend to last longer. But then again, there's advantages in both. It's good to take advice, it's good not to let our heads go, our hearts go ahead of our heads. It's good to get to know somebody first. What are they like? What are their friends like? It makes us think of the whole topic of guidance. How can we know the Lord's will? Not just in situations like marriage, but in getting a job, in using our spare time. Do we do just what we feel like doing or does the Lord want us to do something different? Far too often we just go with what we want to do and we don't listen to others. Young people often tend not to listen to the wise advice of their parents or grandparents or others. 
Instead of learning from their mistakes, they go out and learn the hard way themselves. But far too often as well, we don't listen to God's word. As well as not listening to others, we don't listen to God. We, we do what we think is right. Proverbs 11.14 tells us that there's wisdom in a multitude of counsellors. It's good to take advice. But more importantly, the advice we ought to seek is that from God. To fit in with his will, not just on big decisions, but small ones. Not just on doing our own thing and then when things go wrong, seeking him to fix them. But seeking his wisdom, seeking his guidance, seeking his will before we even do the small things or the big things before we set out. The Bible teaches we ought to seek first God's will. And within his will we have plenty of opportunities to make our choices. He provides limitations and we have freedom. And sometimes he directs us specially within the freedoms that we have. But most of all, we're told to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We're called to be guided by the Lord. In our reading from Genesis 24, there's a number of things that we can see how Abraham was guided by the Lord. How he worked within God's will and how that resulted in blessing. And the first thing is to walk within God's will. We get about seven or so points, some of them very short. But the first is to walk within God's will. Abraham was walking in the center of God's will. He wasn't pushing the boundaries of sin thinking, I think I can get away with doing this. I think it's not sin, but... He was walking in the center. He was staying well clear of anything that might not be God's will, anything that's questionable. How did he know what God's will was? Well, God had already promised him that he would have a son and that through his son, the nations would be blessed. Through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. His descendants would be more numerous than the, the stars in the sky, the, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. So Abraham knew that his son was important. He knew he needed to get his son off to a good footing. He knew that his son was special. He didn't just sit back and see what happened. He knew he had a role as Isaac's father. He had a a responsibility to bring him up to know right from wrong. And in that culture, he had a role too in choosing who his wife would be. He made plans. He got his most trustworthy employee to seek out a wife for his son. He had made sure that the man who was in charge of all His affairs was a godly servant, a godly employee, as we would say today. But he didn't just say, God's going to bless. I'll just let go and just see and watch what God's doing. The phrase let go and let God can mean a lot of things. 
And in terms of guidance, some people say, I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm just going to watch what God does. Some people trust that the Lord will provide and he cares for us much more than the birds of the air as as Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. He promises to provide for us. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a role in the process too. Amy Joseph, in a talk, she'd written a book about seeking God's will. You can find her on the Gospel Coalition uh, podcast. She said, I've had many of these conversations. You know, God's in control. He's going to get me a job. And I go, absolutely, you're going to get a job. But you have to write the cover letter. You have to fill out the job applications. Right? Like, God's not just going to give you a job. You have a part to play. God is sovereign and man is responsible. Both are true at the same time. Abraham knew that God would provide a wife. But he didn't just wait and say, well, wait for her to just to walk up. He made plans. He sent his servant. He wasn't complacent. He did his part. And once he had done his part, he trusted that God would do the rest. Because he was doing this as walking with the Lord. First of all, he didn't want him, his son to marry someone from the Canaanites, but one of his own family. We're not given exact instructions as to why this was important back then, but we, we seem to know that Abraham knew something that, even though it's not documented, it seems, in up to this point. Later on, there is plenty of documentation in the Bible that God's people are not to marry amongst the Canaanites. And later when Moses takes them into the land, they're not to intermarry with those who are unbelievers, those who are ungodly. By that stage, the Israelites entering the land was God's judgment because they had become so, so ungodly. They were not to intermarry. We are not to intermarry with those who don't love the Lord. Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Abraham trusted that if he didn't seek a wife for Isaac among the Canaanites, but he sent his servant back to his home town, his family, that as long as he did what he could do, he had to trust in God for the rest. And being guided by God, the first thing he did was to make sure that he was walking within God's clearly revealed will. And for us, when, when we're seeking to, to be guided by God, we have to look, well, it's not a question. We don't have any option. If, if something is immoral, we don't need to seek God's guidance for us. We don't need to flick the Bible and try and pull out a verse that seems to say it's okay to do it. We know what's out of bounds. We just don't do it. And so the first level of guidance is to walk closely with him, clearly within his will, not doing anything which is sinful. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. 
and he'll give you everything you need. The second thing, which might not sound very spiritual, but actually it is, is to use our head to walk within God's will. God has given us brains, God has given us intellect, and we're to use that. Abraham's servant thought about what might happen after he arrived at the town. What if the woman doesn't want to come and live where Isaac is? So he asks Abraham the question, what if I get there and I find a good woman, but she doesn't want to come? Do I take Isaac to go and live there? No, Abraham responded. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. The servant thought about different situations, different scenarios, and he tried to work them out. It's not a case simply of switching our brain off and leaving everything else to go. We have to think through things and, and try and see, well, how does God's promises and God's word make certain things ruled out? Isaac was not to settle back in Canaan. If the woman wasn't willing to come, then a servant was, was to look for someone else. That woman would be, he would be released from having to bring her back. If we're seeking guidance, if there are conflicting outcomes, make sure that the only one you consider are the ones that are in line with God's will. At a very basic level, if you've got some money comes into the bank, you might think, brilliant, what can I spend this on? But first, we need to use our heads and think, well, hold on. I've got, that's got to last for a month. I've got to pay some other things. And the washing machine's been going for a while. If it dies, I need to be able to replace it. So after taking all these things into consideration, I don't have this much to spend. I've only got this much, which is free. And you might want to use that for savings. Who knows? So when we're looking for guidance, when we use our head, when we look at God's will, what is in bounds and out of bounds, actually these things rule out a lot of things and actually provide a lot of guidance for us. They narrow down the options for us. Abraham's servant used his head too. He didn't go empty-handed. He went prepared. He had his camels laden with gifts. And we read, he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Basically, he took the diary with him, which was common in those days. He went prepared. The third thing is to trust in God to go before you. We don't know the name of this servant, but Derek Kidner, a commentator on this, on Genesis, writes, This chief steward is one of the most attractive minor characters of the Bible. With his quiet good sense, his piety, his godliness, his faith, 
his devotion to his employer and his firmness in seeing the matter through. Abraham trusted this man and he had good reason to. He was a godly man. But also Abraham trusted that not only would God be with his servant but that God would work supernaturally as well. He will send an angel ahead of you and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. Abraham had faith. And this servant trusted in God too. Once he got there, he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. He didn't just go in thinking, right, I can fix this. I can sort this out. He didn't trust in himself. He trusted in the Lord, most of all. Another thing we can do is to narrow down the choices. The servant could have been bewildered to know, this is a town, there's going to be so many women coming out here to, a, to the well, which is what they normally do at that time of day, in the evening. How am I going to know where to start? Well, he uses his head. It seems as though, reading between the lines, Rebecca is the first woman to come out. At least he's the first that he considers. And that indicates if she's the first to come out, that indicates that she's diligent about doing her work. She's not lagging behind gossiping. She's not dilly-dallying. She's not arriving at the well late after a lot of other people have been there and the water is all stirred up and muddy. She gets in there and she's there first. She wants to get the good water clean water to go back home. Also, he asks for a sip of water. And he asks, Lord, if I'm looking for a godly woman, she will be someone who will not, not just give me the little that I'm asking for. She will be generous. She will go the extra mile and she'll offer to water the camels as well. He was asking God to provide a kind-hearted, generous woman. Lead him to somebody who's kind-hearted and generous. And he was using his brains. He was asking the Lord for guidance in a very positive way. Something that was practical. When people are looking for guidance, the person that they often think about in the Old Testament is Gideon. Gideon was told to do something by the Lord. But then he says, Lord, how can I be sure? And he asks the Lord, here's a fleece, um, the, the wool from a lamb. He puts it out and says, Lord, in the morning, if all the dew and the ground, if the grass is all, the ground is all wet around, let this be dry. The Lord says, okay. And the next morning it was dry. And then he says, Lord, I'm still not sure. Tomorrow morning, may the ground be dry, may it be wet. Or he might have got it the other way around. I can't remember. And people often look at that and say, well, that's what we ought to do. 
we ought to ask the Lord for some strange, some obscure thing to be the way it is. Some sign. But actually Gideon is not the role model for looking for guidance. Because Gideon already had been told what to do. He was doubting. He was initially unfaithful. He should have just gone ahead and done it. He shouldn't have asked God, give me a sign. He'd already been told what to do. He didn't need guidance. When we know God's will is, we shouldn't be asking, Lord, do you really want me to do it? That's a half way, that's a half step towards disobedience. Instead, we should do it. Once the servant had done all that he could, thought most, the most logical way, prayed, he said, See, I'm standing here beside this spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. If there are no clear yeses and nos in God's word, if God doesn't say you ought to do this or you ought not to do it, it's black and white. Sometimes it's reasonable after we've narrowed down the choices, after we've done all we can, to say, Lord, please give me a sign. And sometimes signs can be providential. Sometimes it can be somebody raises the topic with you or somebody says, listen, I think the Lord is wanting to share this with you. And they get a word from the Lord. Or sometimes situations happen that really force you down one direction. It's okay to ask the Lord for signs. But we must be willing to hear from the Lord. We must be willing for him to tell us which way to go. We must be willing for, if if the Lord says yes, to go. If the Lord says no, we must be willing to not go. Far too often when people are looking for guidance, they open a Bible and put their finger in it and just look for a verse. Now that verse isn't telling me what I want. So close the Bible, open it again, try and find another verse. And they keep doing this until they find the verse that they want that tells them what they want. That's not seeking God's will. That's not being willing to accept a no. That's just keeping looking for your yes. That's not seeking his will. That's getting him to support your will. We all do it at times. So we need to submit to negative outcomes, but give thanks for positive ones. The servant was prepared for disappointment. He didn't take it for granted that everything was going to work out. He was prepared for a no. He was prepared for this woman not to offer to water the camels. But when she did, he was so thankful. He bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. 
the Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. He praises God then at the well, and he also praises God when the family say yes, and Rebecca says, yes, I will go. We have to be willing to accept God's no as well as his yes if we're seeking guidance. We also need to keep resetting our compass. Whenever we're setting out to do God's will, there are so many different divergences from the path. There are so many detours that we can take that it's very rare for us to make a straight line all the way in the direction God wants us to take. What if we've made wrong choices? What if we haven't followed God's will? What if we've been a bit like Jonah? God says, go this way and preach the gospel in Nineveh. And Jonah being a racist, he says, no, I'm not preaching to them. They're our enemies. And off he went in the other direction. But eventually, he ended up going back and doing what he had to do. Not exactly with the right attitude still, but sometimes we can end up not doing what God tells us. How do we cope with that? Have we blown it all? Very, a very common approach is for, for people to say that God has a wonderful plan for your life. For your life, You just need to find it and fit in with it. And yes, God has a plan. God has his sovereign will for our lives. God has his will for how we ought to move forward. He has his desired will. He desires that all people come to faith in the Lord. But his sovereign will is different. Not everybody does. A lot of people don't for different reasons. And God's desired will is maybe that we do go in this direction, but sometimes we take a detour. But in his sovereign will, our detours are part of his plan as well. One of the things that we, that we know and is so reassuring to us is that verse 1 John 1 verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. John continues, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. We have a Savior who has atoned for our sins. We have forgiveness for when we need it. Have you ever been driving or been a passenger in a car where you put in in the sat-nav or Google Maps on your phone where you want to go. This is where you are. This is where you want to go. And you get this set of instructions and you see the map which says this is the way you have to go. But when you're on the road, sometimes you think, no, it can't be down that street. I think it's down that one up there. And so you don't take this route that the map says you're to take. And you take a different route instead. And then you find out, I'm lost. The map was right after all. It's like that in life. Sometimes we know God's will. And if God's will was simply this fixed plan for our lives and 
we diverge from it, it's like missing a train. Elaine and I were in, I was visiting Elaine when she was working in France once and we thought, no, the last train can't be at four o'clock back to where the town where she was. There must be a train after that, but there wasn't. And we had, we had to walk around all night, find a wee cafe, it was open, and get a train the next morning. There was no other train. Sometimes if we miss a train, that's it. If we miss an opportunity that God has put in our lives, we can't get it back. But that's not the end of the story. God then takes us from where we are and says, okay, you've repented, you've sought my forgiveness. Let's start again. Let's imagine that you had never actually taken a wrong turn. Let's imagine that this is the very start all over again. That's what a sad nav does. You see it, a wee circle goes for a while, it says recalculating. And then it says, okay, from where you are now, this is the route to get to where you need. And that's what God does. He recalculates in his grace and his mercy. He recalculates and gives us a new path, a new direction, new guidance. At the same time, sometimes we have to bear the consequences. King David, when he was forgiven of his adultery and the murder that he committed, he still had to live with the consequences in his life. There were real life consequences. Sometimes when we take a wrong path, we do something we ought not to. We end up living with the impact Thankfully, we don't live with the guilt because we are forgiven in Christ. And sometimes, sometimes the impact of our sin is not, it's not always something negative. Sometimes it can be a real blessing. Sometimes the Lord can use that to actually direct and guide us into the future. Sometimes that becomes a stepping stone towards us being able to be a blessing to others and him to guide us as well. God can use our failures for good. Moses, when he wanted to, when he realized that he was from Israelite background, even though he'd been brought up in the royal palace in Pharaoh's household in Egypt, he wanted to help his Israelite brethren, his, his countrymen, and he ended up killing an Egyptian. And that was the wrong way to go about it. That was him doing it in his own strength rather than following the Lord's will. The result was he ran for his life. He ran away knowing that Pharaoh would probably kill him. But in the process, he spent 40 years learning how to tend sheep. He knew how to guide and lead a flock of stubborn sheep. And sheep, we all like sheep, tend to go astray, each to our own way. Isaiah tells us. So eh, Moses' rash decision in his own strength ended up leading him to a position where he became skilled at leading 
sheep that went astray. And that was an ideal preparation for him leading the people who would tend to go astray, to lead them from Egypt into the promised land, towards the promised land. God can use our failures for his good. And lastly, we need to live by faith. How do we know the will of God? How can we be guided by it? The key is to stay close to him, to walk with him. The key is to be a daily follower of Jesus, doing his will in the small things every day, not just seeking his will on the rare occasions for the big things. It's only when we are walking close with him that we are actually in tune with his voice. Sometimes when people haven't been walking with the Lord and they want to they want to hear what the Lord is saying, they're just not used to hearing his voice. And so they think they hear it, but they actually are only hearing what they want to hear themselves. The key is to be close with the Lord on a daily basis. Listen to him for the small things and then you'll be sure of hearing him for the big things. Pray not just a shopping list of requests, but pray that you may know him more, that you may be guided by him more, that you may be directed to know his will. Paul tells us that we ought to be more focused on our character than our achievements. We should be more interested in how we're walking, not where we're walking to. Paul to the Ephesians writes, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Lead a life worthy of your calling. Paul is more concerned about how we walk with the Lord, not about what we do for the Lord. And so if we if we find that we're not exactly sure where the Lord's leading us, that's okay. Just walk with him. Just take the next step. Abraham, when he set out, didn't know where he was going. He just knew where he was leaving. He just knew the direction to go in. He only later found out what the destination was. When we look to Jesus, we should look for his companionship. We should look to follow him. We should look for his guidance. And we look to him, to the promise that is ahead. Even if we don't get all the things that we want in this life or plan or if things don't work out the way they they could, we know that we will end up in the next life with blessing that inheritance that is ours in Christ. The writer to the Hebrews encourages us. Don't try and be a impressive towards others don't try and be successful in a worldly sense but try and draw near to Jesus and look to him let's close with these words 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. When we keep close to Jesus, when we follow the small steps he asks us to take, even though we may endure suffering as well like he did, although not in the same way, we can look forward to that crown of glory. We can look forward to that word of commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word. We're not left in the dark as to what is right and wrong. We're not left without your guidance. We thank you for your spirit who guides and leads us as well. Lord, we pray that that you would guide each one of us in the small things and the big things. Lord, even if we're not sure where we're going or what we'll be doing, Lord, help us to know who we'll be doing it with and who we'll be walking with. Help us to walk with Jesus. Help us to follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.